Well, good afternoon, or good morning. It's morning, isn't it? It's still morning. Um, pardon me, it's been a long morning already for me, so I'm glad you're with us. And uh, for those of you here in the West Auditorium, I'm very glad you're worshiping with us today. For those of you joining us in the East Auditorium and those who might be watching online, we're very glad that we're going to spend some time in Scripture together today. My name is Wayne, and I'm part of the pastoral team. We're going to spend some time looking at the book of Matthew today. I invite you to grab a Bible, if you will, please. Matthew chapter 24 is about, oh, three-quarters of the way through the Bible or so. There are four biographies of Jesus. We call them Gospels, four biographies of Jesus in, in the Bible. One of them is Matthew. And we're going to look for Matthew chapter 24. It's on page two, 2436. If you don't have a Bible with you, maybe you can grab one in the pew rack in front of you in the East Auditorium. There are people walking around there right now offering those to you. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd be honored if you would take that home as our gift to you, all right? That'd be really cool if you'd do that. As you're looking for Matthew chapter 24 today, I want to start with a, um, a story that I've come across in just the last few weeks, and uh, maybe to set it up for you, I- I've never been to India, perhaps you have, or they say it's a land of great fascination, but uh, more than a billion people live there, and halfway up the coast, here's a map of India, halfway up the west coast of India, there's a, a, a province, a state of India that's known as Goa. I think I'm pronouncing it the correctly, but I'd need some Indian help to get it correct. But uh, Goa uh, is a small place there. It's absolutely beautiful and tremendously. As a matter of fact, you know, they say that India is a land of contrast. You've got a lot of wealthy people, a lot of very poor people, a lot of very health people, a lot of very healthy people, a lot of very sick people. But let me tell you, Goa, look at these photos of, of what, this, what the place looks like. Can you believe that? I have an idea. Don't my idea? Here's my idea. That in about February, we cancel church here in Decatur, and we all go there for church one weekend. Everybody up for that? February sounds like the... So after church today, I'm looking for somebody who the Holy Spirit says, write a check to get us all there. And if you feel that prompting of the Holy Spirit, that is God talking to you. No, it's a beautiful place. I would like to see it sometime. Um, uh, what's attracted me to this story um, is, well, I didn't know this, but recently historians have been looking at that area of the world and have discovered something from the 1600s. It's something called the Bicolum Conflict. The Bicolum Conflict. It uh, started in 1640, in the summer of 1640. It was between the Portuguese and the people who lived in India who were under a kingdom known as the Maratha Kingdom. The Portuguese, of course, were trying to set up colonies around the world. They showed up and said, we want to rule. And the Indians said, no, we want the Marathans to rule. And so they got into a war. It started in the summer of 1640. It lasted for eight months. For eight months, they went at it. And at the end of eight months, the decision was made to have a peace pact signed. And at that point, the Portuguese took over control. Now, what's drawn the attention of the historians, particularly in recent years, starting about 2007, as you can find this stuff online, historians beginning to wonder, how did this occur? There were a couple facets that were unusual about this sort of military skirmish. 
One was that today there is no evidence whatsoever of those skirmishes taking place in terms of how the land or the geography has been situated. Nothing is there that shows the Baikalum conflict ever came along. And then secondly, what's perhaps even more interesting is that despite the, uh, the way in which it's written about how these vi this violence took place, there were no casualties. Neither civilians nor soldiers died in that period of eight months. And so historians are going, how is that possible that you could have this war and no one die? Well, we have some answers for that today. And believe it or not, it really relates to what we're reading in, in, in Matthew chapter 24. We'll read it in just a moment. We're starting today as we look at Matthew 24. We're starting a series called basically Advent, Advent at First Christian Church. Advent is that season prior to Christmas. And, you know, in years past, I've been preaching here at First Christian now for a lot of years, and usually we would look at the, the various aspects of the Christmas story. Maybe we'd do uh, a series that would focus on who were all the characters around the nativity scene, or we'd look at who... Um, what, what were our prophecies were given about Jesus prior to his birth? And that's been a great way to approach this season, but you could imagine there are other ways to approach the season. And truth be told, that approach is not really in keeping with a long history of church tradition. Church tradition would say you don't really preach Christmas until Christmas Eve into Christmas Day. And that Advent is about something completely different. Advent is about waiting and preparation. It's about the arrival. And you don't, frankly, you don't do a lot with Jesus' birth until after Christmas in a lot of congregations. And in those cases, Advent is about planning for God's kingdom to come to the earth, for us to get ready for God's kingdom to come to earth. And it often has a lot to do with Jesus' second coming. And so we're going to focus more on that side of um, Advent this year, a little bit more about Jesus' second coming, about the kingdom of God being made evident in the earth, and then we'll deal with Jesus, if you will, hear me kindly, in terms of his birth, on the other side of Christmas. And throughout this whole period, we're going to be particularly in that tradition being used, we're going to use uh, a lot of the scriptures that churches all across the world are using this particular uh, season. And so the scriptures you've already heard this morning during worship and the prayers you've heard are, are prayers that are very similar to what's taking place and being read in, in congregations all around the world. And because as, as people of faith, we say, okay, we're not the only Christians. There are lots of Christians around the world. And Christianity 101, if you don't know this, is that Jesus came as a baby. He died for all of humanity. He went to heaven. And part of what Christians believe is that he is coming again. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time on that as we prepare for Christmas. As BJ has already mentioned, I want to remind you, there are six services, Christmas Eve. The first one is at 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Then those of us who are leading those services are going to spend some time in the evening with our families. And then we'll be back at 10 o'clock for another service. All, all six of those services are exactly alike. You pick which one, all right? Christmas Day, there's only one service. It'll be in, this, in the West Auditorium in this room. And... Um, it's going to be more of a chapel service. Leslie and I, we're going to move the piano downstage. I'm going to sit the piano. Leslie's going to get a stool. And you can think of it this way, where it's going to be a piano, a stool, some conversations, some carols, communion together. And we would invite you to participate in that. But there's only one service that particular week, or that particular Sunday, because we know all of you will be doing all sorts of stuff, all right? But for today, with all of that in mind, we're going to look at what some of you may say doesn't sound like 
a thrilling passage of scripture to get ready for Jesus to come and to celebrate his birth. But I'll see if I can unpack it for you. Matthew chapter 24, where we're going to step into this in verse 36. Jesus is uh, talking to his disciples and uh, he's saying, I, you, I'm already here. We're not, I don't need to talk about my birth. I want you to understand what's going to happen after I die and how it's going to look when I return from heaven. All right, read with me, verse 36, Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, about that day or hour, in other words, this moment when I come back, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So there's a schedule, but he's saying, I don't know when that's going to happen, but it's, on, it's in play. As it was in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. You may be familiar with that story. Noah hears from God that the world is going to be flooded. And nobody listens to him. He builds an ark, and only he and his family get saved. Everybody else is eating and drinking and having a grand old time doing life, and they miss out. They end up with a horrible situation where they are drowned. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. I mean, suddenly it sounds scary, right? You go, what's with all of that? Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. So two guys are going to be working and somehow or other one's going to go away. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken, the other left. So in light of all of that, in light of this next time I come, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. And you're going, Wayne, this is not very comforting. Going into Christmas, Thanksgiving, I want to be comforted. This sounds apocalyptic. This sounds dire. This, sounds, this is the end of the world? What's with that? Well, I want to give you two responses today to this passage of Scripture. First of all, I want to see if I can unpack with you and, and see what, what could we learn from Jesus? What's he telling us here, okay? Then secondly, we're going to send you home with some resources so that you can effectively deal with this and, and think it through and pray it through in the coming weeks as we step through Advent. And so, I, 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 because I want you to understand what does it mean to say we're waiting, we're, we're anticipating Jesus' arrival, not just at Christmas, but just to, to remember Christmas, but in actual fact, his next coming, which is still on the books, it's still coming our way. So, what does that all mean? Well, if you look throughout Matthew chapter 24, just kind of glance through it there, and what do you see? You see that Jesus is talking to his disciples, and it's pretty, pretty, it's pretty strong language. For example, look at verse 27 as he begins to explain what happens. As lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So something's going to happen where Jesus shows up, and it's going to be really, really visible. And then... Verse 30, all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. This isn't some quiet birth of a baby in a manger. No, this is loud, the trumpet call of God. And all the angels will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the earth to the other. Apparently, some cataclysmic event is going to take place. And the whole earth is going to be aware of what happens. Now, you need to know, this is, this is where the stuff that you've heard about perhaps before, 
about things like the rapture. If you heard that comment, that term, maybe you've raised in church, you heard about the rapture, or you heard about the tribulation or Armageddon. If you're not familiar with all of that, um, there are some certain groups within Christendom that, that have got it all laid out as to how this is all going to happen, and it seems fairly plausible what they say, and they have three and a half years of really good times, and then three and a half years of really bad times, and then some people, are, or all people have to be branded with 666 on their forehead, and so forth and so on. As I said, there are certain camps within Christendom um, that really push that very strongly, and I get it. Uh, it's the way I was raised. Uh, it's, it's plausible. It makes sense. They're, you know, they, they divide all that timeline into epics or eons or some of the language that's used is dispensations, and they write books about it, and movies are made about it, and I, and I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm in. But there are some parts of it that don't make sense to me because um, I don't know that they've got it all right. Uh, but it's fascinating. So I, I don't know what to agree with or disagree with, but I do know this. Jesus himself said that in some sort of fantastical, supernatural way, set within a cataclysmic event, the kingdom of God is coming back and Jesus is going to be there. And I've got that much figured out. And I can say, that's exactly what I believe. Now, some of you are going, Jesus is coming back? Wayne, are you serious? Come on. In a world like ours, you're going to expect God to come out of the sky? What's with that? Well, could I propose something to you this morning? That come December 25th, Christians and non-Christians alike are going to say, we celebrate the coming of Jesus into this world. Christians believe that that happens, that he comes through a virgin birth. And if you want to think about how something's reasonable or unreasonable, hello, isn't that sort of unreasonable? That doesn't make sense, does it? Or we also say that that little baby who came was a miracle from God sent as a missionary, if you will, from one culture, heaven's culture, to our culture, to humanity's culture. That's what Christians believe. And you go, well, okay, I guess I can kind of get there. You know what Christians also believe? We also believe that that little baby grew up to be a man, God, Savior, who died on the cross so that all of humanity would be saved and that people could have their sins forgiven. As a matter of fact, not only just humanity, but that the entire cosmos could be redeemed. In Romans, we're told that the whole cosmos is groaning, waiting for its full redemption, waiting for when they'll be able to say, hey, all is well. And we're going to remember all of that on December 25th. And I want to say, if we're bold enough to remember that on December 25th and say, this is what we believe, is it so weird then? Is it really unreasonable to say, well, we'll add one more thing to that, that he's coming again? Particularly since he said he was. I mean, if we didn't believe he was God in the first place, then it'd be one thing. But if we believe that Jesus is really God sent from heaven, and he says, oh, by the way, I'm going to come back again, then it would seem wise to pay attention. Now, about the schedule of all of that, though, I have no idea. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, no one knows the schedule of all this. I don't know the agenda. I don't know what calendar is coming along. Um, I'm not in charge of that. 
I'm not in charge of that. As a matter of fact, as people ask me about things like that, I always say, I'm not in management, I'm in sales. And so that's my job, okay? My, but I will say this, I've sent in my RSVP I'm planning to attend. I'm planning to attend. As a matter of fact, if you want to know what it's going to look like, look with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's, it's going to be on the screens, okay? Paul the Apostle is writing, and he says, you know, there's this event that's going to take place that Jesus talked about, and I'll give you a description of what it's going to look like. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. It's this loud event again that Jesus has mentioned. Here he is, he's talking about it, that the God himself, the Lord himself will come down from heaven, he's talking about Jesus, and the dead in Christ will rise first. What's that mean? Well, it simply means this. If somebody has died and they know Jesus when they die, the dead in Christ, somehow or other they come out of the grave. Whoa. Wayne, that's not reasonable. Well, is a virgin birth reasonable? If you believe, you believe, Right? If Jesus Christ came, then I'm glad God can figure things out in ways that I can't figure out. I'm glad his brain is way bigger than mine and can work all this out. Okay, so apparently people who have died and been buried in Jesus Christ will rise first. They get to, somehow they get to see Jesus in the clouds and it says, after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever. So, if I die this afternoon and I'm buried in Christ, then I'm going to expect to be one of the people who rise up from the grave. I don't know how that's going to work, but that's what I believe. If it so happens that before I die, if Jesus shows up this afternoon and I'm still alive, somehow there I get to get out of here and meet him in the clouds. I'm up for it. I've punched my ticket. Please send me, okay? I want to be, I want to be on that train. I want to, and so you go, man, Wayne, this is crazy stuff. Well, yeah, but so is the whole idea that we're going to celebrate on December 25th that God was so engaged in the life of humans that he said, I'm sending Jesus. And if that God could do that, then that same God is going to come back and change this world. And so if that's the case, that's what Christians believe. You may not have heard it before, but that's what we really believe. And if that's truly going to happen, then what should we do? Well, Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, you did see it, right? At the end of the passage we read, he said, therefore keep watch before it because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. In other words, it could be this afternoon. It, it very well could be. And I, you know, when I was a kid, that terrified me. I, I, I got to tell you, it terrified me. When I was about 20, it worried me. Because there were things that I wanted to take on in life that hadn't happened yet, and I wanted to say, don't come yet. Please don't come yet. Some of you were thinking that, I know. But what do we do to say, I want to be prepared? I want to be prepared if he was to come today, or I want to be prepared if I was to die before he comes back. What do we do to say, I'll be prepared? Well, for some people, and I kind of get it, they're so worried that he's going to come and they're not going to be ready that they say, man, I want to do all I can to never, ever sin. Well, that's a good thing. But I would suggest to your friends that being worried about Jesus coming back is not a good reason to not sin in and of itself. Hear me be very careful where I go with this, okay? Because all that does is I'm going to escape out of life. I'm going to get out of life. I'm, I'm going to have nothing to do with anybody. I... I, I, I but may I remind you that that's not who Christians are? 
Jesus said, as we've looked at in recent weeks, we, are, we, we may not be of this world. We may be from heaven, and that's where we're going to live. But in the meanwhile, we are in the world, and we are supposed to not escape, but engage for the sake of Jesus' name. I don't want to have a binding life where I'm always... Wor- I mean, if I'm covered by the grace of Jesus, I want to be covered by the grace of Jesus. Now, on the other hand, I, there is, I'm definitely avoiding sin. I'm definitely not putting myself in situations or settings where I'm going to go, man, this is going to take me down the wrong, wrong path. There are activities to shun. There are situations to avoid, absolutely. I'm not looking for the outer edges of grace. How far can I go before I've stepped away from God's forgiveness? That's a theological question. I know, but at the same time, it's a question that we have to ask as we live our lives. But I want to say there's grace, but how far does that grace go? Paul asked that same question. In Romans chapter 6, I think he was worried about us, you about you and me, when, when we, we have this idea, okay, I, I, I don't want to sin, but I don't want to not sin just for the sake of escaping, but I, I, I'm willing to live life. What did Paul say in Romans chapter 6? He said, what can we say about all that God has given us? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? No, that's not a good answer. Just, I, I, I want to I expand my sin repertoire so grace will be expanded? No, that's not a good idea. By no means. Those who have died to sin, how can we live like that any longer? In other words, if, we have, if we've received the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ then we've got to live our lives accordingly, but we don't get to escape. In fact, we have to engage. And I would say to you today, if you're here today and you walk with Jesus Christ, then you've experienced his forgiveness. His grace is all over you. And I say, step into life. Step into life fully. Step into the lives of the people who are messed up. Because that's what Jesus did. God sent Jesus into this world, into messed up lives. Let's live a a narrative of freedom and truth and care and working in a way so that we can help people who need need, need God's help. On the other hand, though, if you're here today and you've never made a commitment to Christ, you don't know what it means to say, I'm walking with Jesus, then I got to tell you, friend, in order for you to be prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ, this next coming, this second coming, you got to get right with God. You do. You absolutely do. You've got to experience, what does it mean to say, God's grace covers me and covers my sin completely? If you're here today and you've never experienced that, then before this time is over today, be mindful. I'm going to pray that God just, God just swallows up your sin and the forgiveness that comes to you through the work of Jesus Christ. And we'll give you an opportunity to respond to that yet. See, an escaping thing is, I, I want out of here, that sort of, you know, I'm a Christian, and thus I've got to get away from people who aren't Christians and everything. That's not how God did it. God sent Jesus. Jesus came in order to deal with people who are sinners, in order to deal with people who, um, who are unhealthy, in order to deal with people who have struggles, people like you and me. I want to, I want to take on the right narrative for what God wants me to do. I want to be certain that, you know, that... I live my life in a way that says, yes, God, while I will avoid sin, in the meanwhile, I'll be certain that I step into the lives of people who are sinners and people who are needy. And that's where I'm going to go. Because to do it the other way is the wrong narrative. Absolutely. Which takes me back to the situation in India, the wrong narrative. See, the right narrative is to um, 
Say, how can I help? How can I help you be prepared? The wrong narrative is to escape. The wrong narrative is to say, because of the second coming of Jesus, I'm worried. No. So, Goa, India, what's going on there? Well, as I said, in beginning in 2007, there was some, a lot of interest around the world from historical societies that wanted to know, how is it that we're just learning of this event and we're seeing how all these people got into it and yet no one died? And so there were papers written, there were speculations made, there were all kinds of study, there was lots of material on the bicolum conflict. And uh, you could read about it on Wikipedia and other places and historians were looking at it and going, man, this is really cool. We, and lots of debate back and forth, you know, as we do as we look back at history. Until in 2012, five years after this began appearing on the internet, an expert in Indian history pointed out the fact, hello, I've never heard of the Bicolum conflict until 2007. Is it possible it didn't happen? Come to find out the whole story was a hoax. The whole story was a hoax, and everybody in the internet just talked each other into the fact there had been a bicolumn conflict, and there was one guy who has yet to be identified, but there's one mastermind behold, behind the whole thing. You've got the whole historical world in an uproar and just messed with people badly. Here's what I would say to you in light of the bicolumn conflict, which is a hoax, and what we just read in Scripture. This is what Christians believe. This is what the Bible states. Jesus came as a baby. He died. He rose again. And he's coming again. There's no hoax to that, folks. We have historical data pointing to Jesus' life on earth as it was then. Why would we say, since we have historical data about that, why would we then say that his comments that he's coming again are untrue? Because if that's untrue, then the whole thing is untrue, and we might as well chuck the whole thing, right? But if we accept that Jesus Christ came and we're going to celebrate that come December 25th, then by golly, we better listen to what he has to say and we better be ready for his second coming. We better step into his shoes to seek and to save. That's what Jesus did. He came to seek and to save people who were just messed up. Our job, once we become followers of Jesus, is to just emulate that, to step into his shoes and say, we come to seek and to save the people who are messed up. That's truth. That's a right and true narrative for all of our lives. So to help you do that this week and throughout all of Advent, to think that through and to, to reflect on what does it mean that Jesus Christ has not just come once, but he's coming again, we've gonna put some, we're going to put some tools in your hands. Um, you're aware that we have a text service that uh, if you were to, for example, write first decade, text the words first decader to this number, 24587, you'll be get some text from us. Well, we're adding to that this, this, this uh, Advent season. As you leave uh, the auditoriums today, there are candles that look like this, and uh, there's the information on the, on the side of the candle as to how to uh, learn about this. And what we're suggesting is that throughout the Advent series that if we could get one of these in every household, and if we could get everybody to be prayerfully looking at some scripture together as families or as individuals, if you're a single in the house, you're looking at it, maybe getting together with folk at a somewhere or other. But the point being, there are some great scriptures that we would like you to learn and be mindful of during the Advent season. And so as you leave the room today, 
you're going to get one of these, and then if you text the words First Decatur to 24587 or check out the church's website, we've got it there. Or if you're not into tech stuff at all, then there are paper copies available at the Welcome Center. And they're going to come out every Monday between now and Christmas. And we're going to ask you to do something that for some of you may be a little uncomfortable. Take your candle, go to the house, spend a few minutes together, light the candle. Just like what you saw in the video at one of the families of our church, we asked them to do it a week ahead of time. You're going to see different families or different settings both single people and family settings in those um, videos before the sermons in the next few weeks to, just to kind of reemphasize this. But here's, here's, here's why we're doing this, okay? If you think about this candle right here, people like candles at Christmas, right? Why do we do that? Is that just kind of a cultural thing that's in the U.S.? No. Um, think about the, the role of light and fire throughout Scripture. Can I remind you of what it means? Light and fire throughout Scripture usually means the presence of God being close by. For example, you may recall there's the story of the people of Israel who are um, slaves in Egypt, and they leave Egypt, and they go to the Promised Land. It takes them 40 years to get there. They're wandering through the wilderness. How did they know that God was with them in the middle of the night? If you know the story, there's fire in the sky, right? And so they would follow the fire. That was an indication that God's presence was close by. Or uh, how, when they finally got to Israel and they built something called the temple, how did they know that God's presence was there? The, the fire and the smoke came out of the sky and it went into the temple. And from that point on, there was supposed to always be, there was supposed to always be a lamp lit, fire symbolizing that God's presence was right there. I think it's fascinating that when you get to Acts chapter 2, after Jesus comes and he dies and he rises again, he goes to heaven, he says, I'm coming back. And in the meanwhile, to help you out, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. My presence is going to be with you. In Acts chapter 2, when that comes along, how did they know that the Holy Spirit arrived? Do you know the story? Perhaps you do. Tongues of fire came out of heaven and landed on them. Throughout history, then, you have this understanding that when we see this, we were reminded that the presence of God is close by. So here's what we'd like you to do. We'd like you to grab one of these candles or use one at your house. It doesn't have to use, there's nothing holy about this one, okay? And we just say, can you remind yourself that the presence of God is here and that given that, I'm living my life differently. I'm pouring my life into other people and I'm anticipating the coming of Jesus Christ not only on December 25th, but also a second coming, maybe before, maybe after that. But that's, my, that's what I believe. Christians believe that. We really do. And so to help you do that, because I know there's some discomfort in, in saying, okay, we're going to be really spiritual as a family. That's not really us. You know, do we really pray together? Um, for some households, that's really hard. I get it. Um, so we're going to let you practice today. All right? As a matter of fact, in the material you get for tomorrow... Or for, well, you're going to get it tomorrow for the rest, and it'll be you to do it once throughout this week, okay? Um, there's a prayer in there that I'm going to have you pray with me three times yet in the worship service so that you get used to it, so that it's familiar and you can say, okay, I've heard this before, I know where this is going. And so I'd like you to pray this prayer with me, asking for God's presence to be in our lives, asking God to help us be mindful of the coming of Jesus Christ, which has yet to come, not just the one on December 25th that we remember, but the one we anticipate. And then you'll hear more of it, this prayer, in the, in the, yet throughout the worship service. So would you pray this with me? Oh God, 
As light comes from this candle, may the blessing of Jesus Christ come to us, warming our hearts and brightening our way. May Christ our Savior bring life into the darkness of this world and to us as we wait for his coming. Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, for my friends here right now, I pray, God, that all of us would experience your presence. And Lord, there perhaps are people here today who don't know you yet. I pray that they would, they would simply step across a line of faith that says, I believe that Jesus Christ came not just to be a little baby in a, in a nativity scene, but he came to forgive me of my sins. Lord, may they have the courage to follow that through with, with new ways of living and new understandings of your spirituality in their lives. And then, Lord, for all of us who've already made that commitment as they join us, we want to say that we, we want to walk with you daily. We want to step into what you would have us step into. And, and Lord, in preparation of the coming of Jesus, we don't want to just kind of hide in a corner and escape and accept that wrong narrative, but instead... We want to accept the narrative of a God who is interested in people who are struggling and people who are messed up. Even in the places, Lord, where we are ourselves broken, we'll choose the right and true narrative of stepping into other people's lives. Lord, we'll take a hold of what things are a hoax and what things are truth. The truth is Jesus Christ came. He's coming again. We'll live there accordingly. In Christ's name, amen.